0: Podcasting from Phoenix, Arizona, the home of year-round flip-flops, the nation's largest city park, and Cactus League spring training. This is The Saver and The Spender, a weekly podcast about budgeting and money habits from both perspectives. And now, here are your hosts, The Saver and financial coach, Kelsa Dickey, and her husband, The Spender, Michael Dickey.
1: Welcome to episode 31 of The Saver and The Spender podcast, everybody. I am The Spender, Michael Dickey, and with me is The Saver, my wife, Kelsa Dickey. Say hi. Hi, everybody. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, Kels and um, I—we've actually been directly working together for the past two years in our uh, financial coaching practice, and have been married for thirteen wonderful years.
2: Very wonderful years. Yes.
1: So, um, you know, it's we've we've seen the difference of of becoming a couple and becoming married and being married for a long time, and then coming from separate worlds and becoming a. a working couple. Business together. partners. Business partners, yeah. Um, so you know, we know the difficulties that couples have in their normal everyday lives and also the additional complications when you work with your partner. And also as financial coaches, we see the problems that couples have with money every day and know how hard it can be to be on the same page financially. So that's why today we're very excited about this episode because we're speaking with couples coaches Erin and Jocelyn Freeman. They are the authors of The New Power Couple, Speakers, Relationship Coaches, and Angel Investors. They have shared the stage with Tony Robbins, nominated as Arizona's 40 Under 40 Influencers, and have been featured in national media for mentoring couples and individuals on fulfilling their dreams and living in their full potential. They also host Empowered Couples, one of the top relationship podcasts on iTunes, and lead two two thriving companies. They're passionate about investing in socially conscious businesses, and one of the companies they invested in was recently featured on the ABC show Shark Tank in October 2017. They have been trained as leadership and relationship coaches, are ordained, and speak around the world in their mission to reach 1 million people to have thriving relationships at at home and in business. Erin and Jocelyn, thank you for joining us today. How are you guys?
3: Oh, thank you so much for having us. Absolutely love what you are up to. Thanks for having us.
4: This is the conversation we love to be in.
3: Good.
1: Thanks. Well, so I want to jump right in and kind of get to know you guys and and let our listeners get to know you guys a little bit. And so you always, you know, you didn't always work together, right?
3: Oh, correct. Definitely not. I was a nurse. Aaron was an engineer. So it has definitely been a learning opportunity for us.
1: Well, tell us how you kind of came together and and started to work together and maybe some of the the trials and tribulations you had and the transition and and all that kind of stuff and how you came to be couples coaches.
3: Right. Well, and this is the best part is it really wasn't a an overnight change. When I was uh, first seeing Erin, I knew that there was that part of me that started to whisper, you know, some of your listeners might feel like there's a whisper that starts for them. um, And then it gets larger and larger to a scream. But as I was working as a nurse, I just knew I was meant for something different. It wasn't that I didn't like nursing, I was a great nurse, I was on track for being promoted. But there was that part of me that knew it was something else. And I just was in the curiosity of what it was going to be. And so when Aaron and I were dating and he was an engineer, first he thought, oh yeah, I'll be an engineer forever, right? Isn't anything so?
4: That's that's what I thought life gave me. Mm
3: -hmm. And uh, I just, I will never forget the day that we sat on a couch. It was at his, at the time, roommate's uh, couch. And it was brown. I remember what we were wearing And we really just started to dream and we started to ask ourselves what we wanted life to look like. So rather than saying like, well, what other kind of job would you want or career? We just said, what would you want life to look like? And we started to dream about traveling, being able to work in different cities, being able to see the world, have an online business. And from there, it just started to, the world started to reveal life, started to reveal to us opportunities. So it actually started with a health and wellness business and network marketing that was our first business venture. That's what we built for two years that ultimately retired us. And because we built our mindset so much and we were mentoring people already, that led us to people you know, seeking out couples advice. They would ask us more questions about finances and communication. So then we decided to get trained, get certified as relationship coaches and met a publisher. And we, we can tell you more about it, but it, it was just The mystery of life, you know, the beauty of life and how it unfolds.
1: Sure, it sounds like it was very organic, right? It just kind of you—you felt that connection and 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 knew that uh, you had something going to move forward. That that's great.
3: Yeah, it came from people really asking for it, right? Just seeing that there were. We thought, oh, we're just living our lives, but people were saying, no, like we see you're doing things differently in your relationship. What is that? And that's when we said, wow, there's so there's so many ways we can impact couples.
2: There are, I often say, two things that I think has has helped Michael and I over this journey, and it sounds very similar to you guys. Like One, in some sense, I think, man, we got really lucky that some of these opportunities presented themselves, or that it feels like maybe sometimes we were just in the right place at the right time, or we were listening when people would say things. And so in some sense, we felt lucky, and in the other sense, I feel like we were also Courageous enough to say, yes, we can help with that. Or yes, we see a need and we can fulfill that need. So I don't think it was just luck. I think in a lot of ways we jumped in, even though we didn't always know like three steps forward sort of thing. We just sort of trusted the process that if we kept taking one step closer towards our goals, that it would all sort of come together.
4: Well, you're so right. And the analogy I love is actually when you go to buy a new car, right? You go to buy a new car, you're on the lot. You're like, wow, I've never seen this shade. I've never seen this color, this model on the road. I'm going to get this. It's going to be unique. You drive it off a lot, and then within a week, you've seen 10 of them. (laughs) And why is that? It's because you brought awareness into something that you didn't have awareness on before. You weren't looking for that model of car. And exactly what you're saying, for those that are listening, it may sound like, well, for me, the opportunity hasn't just come, but it has. You just haven't been looking for it. So for Jocelyn and I, that's a lot of where we start with couples. So we have to bring your awareness to what do you want to experience in your life? What do you want to create? And you start to bring intention to that. And then the whole game is staying in alignment with that. And now it's like the opportunities you'll be aware of. And like you said, you won't see the whole path, but you take one step forward. Whatever you feel like has been brought to you from what you're creating, what you're intending to have your life look like and your relationship look like, you take the next step. And then from there, you know, a book unfolds or speaking opportunities unfold or it all unfolds after that, but from awareness and then taking one action.
2: It's so true. So I'm curious, um, you know, I love the realness of things. So as much as we want to put out this front that like, life is perfect. And we just know that it doesn't work that way. And I never want people to think that that's what we're putting out there, I think it's best to just be real. So I'm curious, what kinds of quirky things did you guys have to figure out with the two of you like working together for the first time? What kinds of things sure. that were you like, oh, I wish you didn't do that or something like that?
3: One of our favorite topics, really, and thank you for saying that, because we're all about transparency and authenticity as well. We don't want, even in our book, The New Power Couple, It is we we actually are creating that being a power couple is not about perfection at all. It's really about vulnerability and authenticity and learning. So thank you for creating that. You know, it was so funny when, so I was the first one to retire. And Aaron was still working. That was our plan. And that was a leap of faith in itself, just being the first one to say, wow, I'm leaving this super secure nursing job. That brought up so much fear, but really following our passion. Well, to
4: underline that really quick, I mean, for a lot of people, you can imagine if you spend five to eight years studying to become a nurse and or engineer, and you felt like you dedicated so much time, effort, energy, and attention to that, it's hard to say, could I really just give this up and, and step into something that's uncertain?
3: And so I remember, though, I would still feel like I needed to start work at a certain time. (laughs) So Aaron would be going to work. I'd say goodbye to him. I'd shower, get ready. And then I'd come to the desk and be like, "Okay, I'm ready to work. And then I'd sit there for a while going, what am I going to work on? (laughs) And so a big part of the learning process, especially I I didn't have entrepreneur parents. So for me, becoming an entrepreneur was completely a new realm for me. So we had to learn the, the process of sitting down, having business meetings, creating what our goals were in each category of our business, really having not the employee mindset, but the business owner mindset was a huge shift for us. So in the beginning, it kind of manifested a little bit like, Um, why didn't you do this? Or, gosh, we're so behind on this, or I don't know what to do. So our learning kind of in a way showed up with us a little bit uh, feeling uncertain with each other.
4: And a part of it is, you know, Jocelyn traded the job to create this sort of new business and yet was still working 12 or 14 hours, sometimes more hours than she was at a job, right? So I might come back home and then she's like, I'm just working even more hours, even though it was on something more fulfilling. And then for me, there were some times where I came back and said, what are you complaining about? You get to do whatever you want, and I'm at a job still. But what I noticed for myself was, number one, that was me feeling like I wanted to be able to create as well. But going internally, I believe more in Jocelyn being able to create whatever with the, the power that she is, the great coach that she is, with how she is just unstoppable and actually having to go in and, and own that I maybe didn't, I didn't have the value in myself that yes, I could leave behind something I studied for five years. I worked in eight years and I could actually leave that behind and own the value that I was. So that would show up in conversations like you get to be at home and I, I still have to go to work. And then for her saying, oh, I'm working all these hours. So we really had to learn that in Im- owner mindset where it's like, yeah, we can go at one in the middle of the day and ride our beach cruisers. Like that's totally <laughs> fine. Yeah.
2: yeah. And, and you also- might exchange that for like working while you're on your laptop while watching a movie on a Friday night, right? Like this is where I think we were talking earlier where like every day is a work day and not every day is a work day. like you get to pick and choose. And so we might go get drinks at three in the afternoon and most people can't do that. But then there are instances where we trade that off with, we've got a deadline, we're trying to launch something new and we're just both sprinting to that finish line sort of thing and working a ton. And I mean, it's good and bad, right? But when you guys are probably working separately at that moment, you know, then I can imagine that would be really tough to balance that.
3: Absolutely. And I just would add one more thing, a learning lesson. And we teach this for the couples that we coach in starting their business together is creating who's accountable for what in just like a business has someone who's in charge of PR, someone's in charge of marketing. So we had a, a turning point where we said, wow, we're wasting so much energy saying, did you do this? Did I do this? What's next? when really creating those accountabilities and then in the team meeting, really having that team meeting and being able to check in and still not treat it like, oh, that's yours, you should have gotten that done, but just more so who's going to own it. And that made such a difference for us. That's great.
2: I know one of the things that Michael and I had to figure out and Michael, you might share a different uh, challenge besides me, but uh, we were just talking about it this week. I'm really good at coming up with an idea. Like I want to launch this idea or I want to come up with a certain thing, but I get stressed out over the initial steps of creating something. Like the first trying to design it from scratch really stresses me out where that's where Michael excels. He can just create something So I come up with the idea, he creates it. And then I'm really good at sort of like putting all the finishing touches on it. So taking what he's created, making, you know, moving the formatting around a little bit, making it look prettier, all of that. And so what was happening was I would come up with an idea or Michael would say, hey, let's talk about that idea you had. And because we didn't identify that he was going to create it first, immediately I would get stressed out. Like, I don't have time to do that right now and blah, 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 because that was just my MO is that I get stressed on that initial step you know? And so once we figured out that, you know what, we can come, both come up with an idea, he gets it started and then we come together to finish it. From there, it has made the process go so so much smoother. But again, that's something you kind of like work through in a clunky way, but you have to stay, like, just keep talking about it and like, what's causing the stress? Where's the breakdown here? where is the, Where are the challenges coming from? I mean, I don't know any better way to do it besides a little bit of trial and error.
3: That's it. funny. We're the opposite, but we have, we found the same thing. So I'm really good at getting a first draft done. I I'm, I'm really fast moving and I don't like doing the finishing touches and Aaron's really great at that. So it's funny that we figured that out as well. And now that's almost how we do. Everything is really staying in that zone of genius.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what we do. And I, and Jocelyn, you're your story really resonated with me because i had i had you know 6 years of education and almost 15 years in sports medicine and physical therapy and and so where my schedule dictated what i did and you know in a clinic i'm seeing patients every 15 minutes and every half an hour and then i go to Basically I run my own schedule. I had no idea how to do that. And it was so hard on top of that working with my wife and trying to figure out what our zone of geniuses were and, and where to co- collaborate and co-create and how to do that. It was so it's such an odd transition space to work through and, and like Kelsey said, clunky and we yet to figure it out, but eventually we did and it was but it's you know there's some big parallels right there for sure. And I'm sure that's very common across the board for couples coming together. Oh,
3: absolutely. Because number one, we aren't taught how to be in relationship. Very, very, very few people go into some sort of course before marriage or even once they're married. So we aren't really taught how to be in a relationship and then add on not being taught how to create something together. So it really takes, and that's why we're creating so many of the resources we are, because we want to create that education that can empower couples to create, because that's where just the miracles and magic happen in a relationship. And it doesn't mean it's not challenging as heck sometimes, but we really believe that once you're in that union, so much fun comes from creating something together.
4: And it may be a question that you were going to bring up later, but it's just a perfect segue to talk about Motivating, how to motivate each other, become aware of even what motivates you. So
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, this
4: is really a principle that I we got from Tony Robbins. You know, six human needs to really understand of these six, which we all need in some level, that there are going to be two. And so I really suggest any listener actually take the time to write these six out and really decide which of these two most motivate me, and then find out about your partners. Right. So that's certainty or that feeling of safety and security, uncertainty, or spontaneity, variety. And then you have significance, you know, like standing out or being known, being unique. And then you have love and connection. And then the last two are contribution and growth. And so really first knowing which one really drives you is going to also set up, you know, which role that you take inside of these business roles or your partnership role, and also how to motivate your partner. You know, if Jocelyn is one that's out for being known and being significant, and mine is more about certainty, then in finances, that may look like I'm more interested in having a a safety cushion in the bank, in the savings, where someone that's really out to be known is going to take that money and take that resource and circulate it to places to get on stages or to get to be more known. And so without knowing that, you may run into that similar contrast of the saver or the spender, if you will. And in business, spending is investing in your into your business. But unless you know those, not all of a sudden you are just like, why why did you circulate money there? Or it just brings about a whole different paradigm that seems like we don't know how to get out of this. It brings up arguments, it brings up conflict, but knowing that can really open up the spaces of how to interact with each other in your business. Mm
1: -hmm. I love
2: that. Yeah. I think if I, I've often said that if there's one skill or trait that I could get every client to adopt, it's, it's to simply be intentional. So be intentional with your time, be intentional with your resources, with your money. And it's like you said, like, here's the things that we can all choose from. We have hundreds of different things we could be doing with our money and our time. And we can't do it all right so try to focus on the things that we care most about or the things that are going to motivate us the most and simply be intentional about it it's amazing to me how that can transform us from feeling like we don't have enough or we're not doing everything we want to do to realizing the things that are most important to us are being taken care of and it can change your level of contentment and satisfaction in your life and happiness and all sorts of things
3: absolutely 100% agree
1: You know, I um, I um, a couple of the resources that we really used, and I'm kind of a very objective, nerdy, slightly engineering type of person. And Aaron, I think you would agree with that you have to feel <laughs> the same way. But like I, I like, um, so something that we did to help me, because I don't like to figure things out, stuff out on my own. Like I want to use other people's resources to help me, guide, guide me a little bit. So uh, two, three things that we used and that we still recommend to clients is, Um, Some different, I I guess you call them personality quizzes, if you will. But like the the classic one is the Myers break, which that you can, you can pay for that one. But there's, there's a website called 16 personalities where it's completely free. And that's an awesome resource. And and to take that with your significant other to really find out what your different personalities are. And there's basically 16 different combination of, of two sides of a coin of personalities that you have. And so are you an introvert or extrovert or, or really where are you on that spectrum? and there are three other categories. And to really understand where you are and your significant other to understand where you are, I think was very valuable to us. Um, the other one that I think was very fascinating is the Colby. You guys know the Colby? Which-
4: Yeah, I've heard of it. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's K-O-L-B-E, and I'll put a link in the show notes. But that is more of a personality, but how? what's your MO? How do you, when you're giving a task, how do you operate? Are you a quick start, like Jocelyn and I am? Like we want to start right away and we want to do the dirty work first. Um, or, you know, or do you not really do that? You are like Kelsa and Aaron, where you want to finish, are you an implementer where do you use your hands and do the dirty work or, um, are you hands off and, and you like to think about things? So that's very valuable. Like, so that when you're mad because I'm not finishing a task, well, it's because that is not my MO. I want to start the task and, and get the initial draft out. Um, where, so you can kind of say like, you know, you're fit for this type of job and these are, this is your zone of genius as far as how you operate. Um, I the last that. is very, is very cool. Um, the, the last one that we like, and I'll put a link to this, but Brent Kessel, who wrote a book, um, and it's a money personality quiz or money archetype quiz, where for people where you're really trying to figure out your finances and you're talking about and fighting over finances, it's more complicated than just, are you a saver or a spender? Right. So are you, and I think it kind of goes along with those six, um, uh, archetypes that you were talking about. Like, are you, are you an empire builder or are you more conservative and you, and you want to hold on to that? Or are you, are you a spender? Um, you know, but, but in a more different, different, uh, levels. Than
2: that. Are you a guardian? So you like to take care of others or make sure others needs are taken care of for, I mean, it's just so neat to see the motivations behind what people choose to do with their money. And again, just without realizing it, I think oftentimes.
4: Yeah.
3: Absolutely. It's really powerful. I mean, I love those kind of conversations and there's another exercise we always recommend to couples creating, finding out your meaning of money. Mm-hmm. So there's an assessment that you can take to find out your meaning of money. Uh, that's something that we're facil- or we're trained to take people through because then you can learn about, oh, that's why they take that action. And you can really understand each other as well as understand yourself, but also then come up with agreements. So even though that's our tendency, you can, you know, something about the personality test that we really believe in is it's a great way to bring awareness. Mm -hmm. However, it's not a way to box yourself in because we are always open to transformation. My belief system, man, around money, I, for example, grew up without a lot of money. The conversations I grew up around, my my mom would say, we're going to always be white trash. So when I started to do personal development and grow my mindset, I remember really being challenged about how I felt when I go to circulate. I remember even when I had my first nursing job, and i went to go celebrate and it was the biggest paycheck i'd ever received and i went to buy the most expensive purse i'd ever purchased from coach and i felt so much anxiety buying that that i went the next day and returned it Oh my gosh! so hence when i did go into personal development and you know people are challenging me around my mindset wow i really noticed the body sensations i had as i would circulate money and so now when we started to build our wealth consciousness and become angel investors I just like I wanted to know what my meaning of money was, and every couple should. However, it's not a place you have to stay stuck if it doesn't empower you based on what your dreams are.
4: And you know well, one thing I wanted to add right there, really quick, was I think what we found the the point of really all this awareness is being able to manage your state or emotional intelligence, right? Our society really has focused a lot on intellect, IQ which really does have its benefits, Um, and if you really look at it, mainly the school system education, it really just sets you up that if you have a high IQ, you're going to be great at like engineering, or you're going to be great at being a professor, but as far as leading, as far as being an innovator, being someone that can uh, create momentum, or a tribe, or even be able to build relationship, none of that is really measured in IQ, it's more of an emotional intelligence, so all these things are talking about awareness. It really comes down to why we talk about conflict resolution so much and communication. Because if we find ourselves in these states of being sad or defensive or resisting, or which leads to argument, it's really about being able to notice your emotions and be able to manage them and create your own. And then also be able to notice emotions in another person, especially your partner, And at its highest level to not only be able to notice other people's emotions, but can I be one to assist moving someone else into a higher level of emotion, you know, peace, joy, elation, excitement, rather than defensive, angry, contempt, resentment. And so for us, that really brings the next conversation of conflict resolution, which without knowing your partner's meaning of money, it's easy to have emotions start to drive the show. But to solve any problem is more about getting you in the right state, i.e. one of calm, of peace, of understanding, and it's from that state you can come up with a better solution. I think a lot of times people are going back and forth trying to get one partner to understand, I'm trying to get Jocelyn to understand my view, and then Jocelyn's over there trying to get me to understand her view, rather than if we said, okay, let's pause, our goal here first is to get to a higher vibration state of peace, of connection, and it's from there we can have a much better shot at providing and getting to a solution for whether it's finances whether it's where to move our business forward whether it's where to go to dinner whether what house to buy it doesn't matter it's about the state in which you make decisions and take your actions from
2: i love that i often say that awareness is not the end result right like that's not the, that's just the first step oftentimes it's not the final step that we're taking so especially when it comes to someone's budget we're going to spend probably 4 weeks creating a baseline budget just to figure out where the money's going so that we can challenge it, right? Like it's not like we're doing it and that's the purpose of that step. It's so that we can then take the next step. We don't know how to challenge it or do we need to save money here, here, or here. We don't know that until we've see, gained awareness first, right? So it's more like the awareness is meant to say, okay, now what am I going to do about it? Or how am I going to make this better? How am I going to improve? Not to be a crutch, I think. Not to say, well, My personality quiz said that this is what I do, so that's what I do, right? (laughs) It's not what we're shooting for.
4: Absolutely, I think what what you're pointing to, it's not about, let's put all these things in place, i.e. a budget, i.e. coming up with this plan, so that we try to not have anything come up. We're never gonna get in an argument, there's never gonna be a disagreement, there's never gonna be a boundary or limitation. It's more about setting yourself up so that when it does happen, because it's gonna happen, How are you going to move through that emotion such that then you can communicate properly and move through it? Why? Because that's all growth. If we don't have contrast, if we don't have resistance, we don't have any opportunity to grow. And I think that scares a lot of people. It seems like when you have an argument or disagreement that shouldn't have happened, rather than we've planned ahead, we know how to handle it in the moment. And now we're actually just growing through any opportunity, anything that comes up between us. I have a
2: question for you. And we didn't, I didn't tell you that we were going to ask you this question. So I'm sorry, but this is leading me to think about it. I, I sense so much in the experiences that I have with couples or just individuals in general around money is that if they're not perfect, then they must be doing it wrong. Or that if they're if it's not perfect, that they failed in some way. And Michael and I do think that we've always been very growth focused or all about progress, right? So just doing it a little bit better tomorrow than what we did today. And it sounds like you guys are sensing that same sort of setback mentally that where do you think that's coming from where our generation, especially, or people are being brought up nowadays to think that if they're not perfect, that they're, it's, they're just failing at life.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I think it really comes from probably multiple places, but the places that stand out when we talk to couples is the fact that it's been treated like, don't talk about your relationship things with people, especially our parents, grandparents, the generations before us, it was very behind the scenes. You know, you didn't know what was beyond the white picket fence and the inside the house. It was like, oh yeah, we're good. Wave to your neighbor, smile, we're good. And that's what people say at parties too. How are you? Oh, we're good. Well, no one's just authentic. There hasn't been the conversation in the world around relationships are for learning. And so because it hasn't been a space for people to just authentically share, there hasn't really been the invitation to know how to authentically share about it and the power of that. And I think also media, uh, movies, you know, they show the romance, they show the triumph, they show, show the beauty. There isn't really a lot of great lessons shown with those resources, which is where we learn a lot in movies and TV, unfortunate, unfortunately, and fortunately sometimes. Yeah. And that's where we do bring to people, and this is whether we teach it in a workshop or online, is that relationships are for learning. Because a lot of people don't even quite know what their relationship is really for. It's like, oh, I want a companion. I want someone who approves of me. I want to feel loved. And yes, all of those things are valid, but there's not, I want all of those and to learn. And that's really what we're trying to bring forth with the Empowered Couples movement is this and that's how our brunches are. Our couple's brunches is the the real conversations of what's going on and making it normal to share about the triumphs and the challenges.
2: I think about movies, like you said, and they have where, you know, a couple experiences a challenge and they have to overcome it and all that. And then they overcome it and life is good. And then the movie ends, right? Yes. What they don't show is, well, then they actually just move on to like the next set of challenges that couples face. Right. So it's like, you're always, if you're in a growth mindset, you're always challenging yourself. You're always overcoming sort of like, what can we try next or what can we do next? And um, you know, a movie ends after the first challenge when they figure it all out, it doesn't move to the next one,
4: right? It's, It's so true. And it's something that I'm just now getting into a discovery of right here in this conversation. I've never said this like this before, but most people think that to build a relationship and to connect with others is about finding something in common But from like a, do we both like sports or Mm -hmm. all of the, let's call it positive sides. But when you really think about it, when do you connect the most with people is when you realize that you go through the same challenges or when you have vulnerability Mm -hmm. and authenticity available. When someone says, you know, we just got in an argument about our finances yesterday and then you're like, oh my gosh, we did too. It's like, you feel like this weight, like you're not the only one out there. And I, I feel like relation to be related to people actually comes from a common ground of, wow, you mean we actually all deal with the same things? And that's a much more powerful place to be even more connected. Mm-hmm. We found that especially true with
1: finances that people don't want to talk about finances uh, anywhere in public, you know, it's just, it's just probably the one of the last taboo things. Um, but I mean, not really, but I mean, it really is no, like, I mean no,
2: people are talking more about politics now, yeah, yeah. About politics. So and it's okay, it's okay to, <laughs>
1: no, yeah, it's okay to completely talk about um politics and religion and go off on tangents on Facebook, but nobody talks about finances anymore, um and it's and it's we it's just so unhealthy, and the levels of denial that people have with their finances nowadays are incredible and we can finally we're, we're really trying to empower people with their finances to start to have conversations with their partners but let alone with their friends to understand that it's a struggle that everybody has and you can't be perfect with your finances
4: no it's so great i know we're probably talking a lot about mindset here but i believe that it's your belief your corresponding thoughts that actually lead to the actions that you take and the actions lead to your results so a little bit more on mindset like love to hear from jocelyn she's the action taker but i think the reason is because people the way in which they see money. They've seen money as what gives them their value, rather than seeing money as a reflection of your own internal value, or how you've circulated it out. We like circulate rather than spend or even invest. But if you've provided value to others in your life, we say that you can expect this circulation of energy or of resource to come back in the form of money. So rather than looking at where am I providing value, And that being where money comes from, people say, well, this is the amount that I have. And that gives me my value because now if I talk about that and someone has more than I do, they're a human being that's more valuable than me.
2: Yeah. I love this. I'm definitely the action taker as well. I'm very action oriented. Even in my coaching style is very action focused. So I had actually written down one of the questions I wanted to ask you guys about. And this is a perfect segue is... What steps do you help couples take to identify their money blocks or their mindsets around money? Because this is that thing where you don't know what you don't know. And oftentimes you're thinking this without realizing you're thinking it. So, or you're holding yourself back without realizing it. So, what are the things that you guys do to help a client identify those? Yeah. And
3: it might sound probably unexpected where we start because actually our step, like two or three, is more about doing an inventory on your. Um, meaning of money or your budget, where we actually start is what your vision is. So the very first place we start is we have a whole vision formula, actually, just like a company has a vision statement. We help couples create their vision statement. We have four steps to that process because we find that once they know what their vision is together, the conversations around money have a different energy. Because it's inside of that vision that they're now doing this sometimes challenging work because some of the some of the steps within changing your money mindset, money structure, money implementation could feel just like doing something else or feel challenging. But when it's inside of, wow, now we know what we're creating, that's our future, this is worth it. Mm-hmm. So the vision for us is the very first step. And from there then it is doing some assessment of what you currently are doing. Mm -hmm. And we find what are some of the habits, you know, from where do you spend your money, the whole budgeting uh, system, as well as looking at then what's the mindset behind that. And a lot of times people will do a, they'll look at their vision and then look at where they're spending their money. And we challenge them to look at, is where you're circulating your finances in alignment with your vision. That's the filter we want them to use. So when we did this and we had our vision statement and we started to do an inventory of our finances, it became clear that our $200 cable bill was not in alignment with our vision. It became, and it didn't mean it wasn't challenging. We were used to having that cable. However, it was the, it was the, backboard that we checked for everything.
4: I remember the time we actually made this decision, it was now like five years ago. And I was used to just watching TV or having it available. And we said, well, what if we just tried not having it for a month? So we turned the cable off and we never went back to it. And initially I was like, that was my agreement. Well, let's try it for a month. Uh-huh. But I, was, I was like, I've been so used to and been in routine of watching TV. And again, there's something wrong with that, but it didn't match our vision. So it's been five years that we haven't had cable, but it was difficult at first because I was so used to it.
3: And it really made it easier to then correlate that money to instead circulate that towards a workshop or a coach or a seminar, because that was actually in alignment with our vision. How how often do you
2: feel couples... Change their vision, or is this something that like it never changes, or maybe periodically as their life shifts? How what what have you guys seen?
3: Oh, it absolutely changes because we change as people, and so we when they create their vision statement, it, we say this is a living document. This is something you want to have a whiteboard in your office or your bedroom, and have it be something that you can constantly adjust because you're going to change, and you know even going to. You know, people ask, well, why is the divorce rate so high? And there's many elements to that. But one of the things that we say is that you aren't, you don't have a vision together and nor are you constantly doing a reassessment of, do you still have a combined vision? And we see this a lot with couples who do personal development together because they are growing as individuals, but they haven't recreated a vision. They find themselves growing apart. So the vision statement is constantly changing.
1: That's great. You know, I want to I want to take this conversation because this is exactly what I think a lot of people want to hear. But let's let's take this to the couple's timeline. So, what type of conversations and exercises should uh, uh, engaged couples, so they're not married yet, they've just been engaged, what what type of conversations and exercises should a, uh, a newly engaged couple start to have to start to build this?
4: Well, the first thing I think of it has to be the vision statement, and for us, the way in which we're going to impact the divorce rate and having it decline is by having that conversation as early as possible. I mean, if, if if you could have this on the first date, that would be the best. And a lot of times, like Jocelyn said, this is what might lead to a marriage that's been together for 10, 20 years. They create a vision statement. They may end up deciding to complete that marriage. Now, notice the language that I use. We don't say that it ends because that's a different way to view it. It completes, like a teacher, right? You go, let's say I was in fourth grade. I'm gonna learn a certain set of things in fourth grade. Addition, how to tell time. By the end of that year, I've learned what that teacher was meant to have me learn. Now, I could choose to stay in fourth grade, but what's gonna happen? People are gonna to start to pass me up. I'm not gonna be growing. It's gonna to start to diminish me, but I'm, so I have to move on to fifth grade, which is a new teacher. And we see a relationship like that where your partner is your biggest teacher and when the vision hasn't been created and you've been sort of cohabitating you may end up learning coming to the point where you say as teachers in this relationship we've completed i.e i'm sort of graduating from fourth grade moving into fifth grade to my new teacher and that's this is a better way for us to look at it rather than hold on to grudges or resentment something ended because it shouldn't have happened rather than really being grateful and be able to release that and say, I appreciate you so much for what you taught me up to this point. And this is just a time for us to complete. So I know I said something else to your point, but the vision statement, as early as you can have that, that's where we first have people start.
3: I'd also add... This is kind of tied into another question I I think you wanted to talk about. One of the challenges we're seeing in today's relationships is that the landscape of what's possible is totally different than the generations before us. Mm -hmm. And a lot of couples are modeling after these Mm out-of-date examples. And what I mean by that is what it looked like to be in a relationship, what people aspired for was... A big, beautiful house, two cars, you know, great, great toys for the kids. And that was great because that's what America really cared about at the time.
4: And it was also because coming out of like a war and all that stuff, that was the natural next step was to feel secure. Mm -hmm. But now we've already got that handle. So like Jocelyn said, that American dream ideal is out of date for this new generation.
3: So before marriage, it's really discussing what do you want life to actually look like? I know we said the vision statement, but really the tendency, we see couples, you know, they think they're bored or not in love anymore when really they're just modeling their life after something that's not actually what they desire. Mm -hmm. What they desire when we really dig in with them is they don't really care about having a big house. In fact, they'd rather have a condo and then travel three months in the summer they they don't care about having two cars, they'd rather be able to go on more adventures or fly first class. And so when they really dive into the modern day, what's possible, it's different. And that's when they, they there's more aliveness and more excitement. So I think it's really important to before marriage, look at what's predictable. So for example, finding out you know the family patterns if I modeled after my parents and grandparents it wouldn't be going so well you know how they handled money how they talked about money so we really talked about what it looked like in each other's families and did we want to keep creating that or did we want to start a new pattern
1: that's great what are there any differences in what say a newlywed couple or a a long-time married couple should need to focus on as far as conversation they need to continue to have or exercises to do this beyond the, the uh, reevaluating vision statements.
4: One thing it makes me think of is like Jocelyn was saying, going from a past family culture, we don't really talk about this too much. Like how is, how are birthdays celebrated in your family, right? So this would be like for a couple that's just getting engaged or, you know, around Christmas or Thanksgiving, understanding, you know, who do you like to spend your time with? How do you like to be celebrated? How do you like to be acknowledged? Where a couple that's been together, they may not have had that conversation, but over the years, they've sort of figured it out and been able to create their own version. So for couples that are disengaged, diving into what was your family upbringing like? Um, Did you like to spend a lot of time with your family? Was birthdays celebrated all day long did you get presents did you not do you like gifts do you like more experiences or travel and starting to say that's how you grew up and now that we're moving in together how would we like to create that together would Would you like to continue to have your experience of birthdays be an all-day-long celebratory event with gifts or would we like that to actually be time where we take time for ourselves and we take a little trip uh, up to somewhere and just have it be relaxing. So knowing where you're coming from and then saying, is that what we want to create together?
3: And I'd also add, since you were asking too about the longer you're in a relationship, there can be this like, Oh, I know my partner kind of energy. Mm -hmm. I just know who you are. So there starts to become assumptions made. And so we're a big uh, fan and advocate for, and we created something called the family meeting worksheet that goes into all eight areas of life. And we recommend couples sit down weekly biweekly monthly at a minimum and constantly be checking in because people can grow and change you want to check in are you are you still satisfied with our intimacy are you still satisfied with our financial goals because there can be this kind of assumption and because we think so much in our heads and and then one day we actually have a dream and we don't vocalize it to our partner and there becomes these unexpressed communications And that's where some conflict can be started. So I think whether you've been married a year, 10 years, 20 years, having that family meeting structure can really keep the curiosity alive, as well as just make sure that you are are on the same page or really keep learning about each other's new desires and can set goals together.
2: One of the things I love about what you guys do, and I just, I keep hearing it throughout this entire conversation and I like, I get goosebumps just observing this is You take something and you break it down into such simple steps for people to follow. So you don't say, like, have a a couple's meeting. You literally break that down into step-by-step. Here's the things to look at. Here's the questions to ask. The same with the vision statement. You're not saying, like, create a vision statement as a couple. You actually guide them through step-by-step how to do that. And I love that because I think it's the tangible steps that people can have the best intentions but they don't actually know how to do it. They're like, people say I should do this, but like how physically, how do I actually do it? You know? So oftentimes, and I feel like we try to do the same thing when it comes to budgeting, the sense that people like say like, okay, I'm going to get on a budget. And they grab a sheet of paper and they sit down at their desk and they grab a pen and they're like, okay, now what do I physically actually do? Right? Like what's the, the step broken down in that? And I know Michael and I from right when we first got married, I don't even know if he remembers this, but I used to ask him, I used to say, are you happy? And I didn't, I wasn't asking because I was insecure in myself or I was like, you know, worried or it wasn't about that. It was more of this question of like, are you happy? Because if not, let's do something about it, right? Like let's challenge, I never want us to do something because one, everybody else is doing it or two, because this is what we've always known, or because we have this house now and we are settled in Michigan. And like, if we're not happy, like we can change anything. Like it's not going to be easy sometimes to change some of the things that we've created, but ultimately at the the day, like, are we happy? But I like that your questions go so much, so much more in depth. than that. I think you do an excellent job compartmentalizing that conversation, Mm -hmm. which I just, I love that about you guys.
3: Thank you so much. That's what we wanted to make it a bit practical, things that can implement. People will just say, work on your communication. Okay, great. How do I do that? What does that look like?
2: Yeah and something it's like the steps that people I think can practice right mm-hmm. so i can i imagine that the first couple of meetings you have maybe the first dozen meetings that you have is like clunky and awkward and are we supposed to say that are we not like maybe some tensions flare up a little bit and then but after a while i mean i feel like it probably just becomes easier and easier it just becomes sort of commonplace and i i think about that i don't ever ask michael now like are you happy like i don't know that i ask those words because i think we naturally have that conversation just on circulation. Like it's just, some, we're always evaluating our life in that way. So I don't need to come out and like specifically ask that question anymore. Like maybe I used to. In other words, it's just been, it's be now part of our dialogue.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love that. And for newer couples that maybe aren't so clear about the different aspects of their life, you could, you could ask, are you happy? Now that elicits a yes or no answer, which totally. you know, it all depends on what's my state right now? Do we just have an argument? And then you guys <laughs> Well, right now I'm going to say no.
2: <laughs> yeah, I love, that's why I love the fact that you guys really break it down into more in-depth. Like you go, you dive deeper into it, which I just, I it creates more of a conversation. I love that.
4: And bringing back to what Michael had said before about having objective, more objective data rather than subjective, rather than a yes or no. That's why we ask, not are you happy? But we say, what's your level of satisfaction in the area of, our physical health, our personal development or mental health, and our spiritual health, our family, our social life, our intimacy, and our spiritual connection, right? So now you actually get a, a much better objective picture. Mm-hmm. And and I'll be honest, you know, that takes a little bit of courage because uh, a couple months ago, we were driving up to Vale with Jocelyn's family in Colorado, and we were sitting in the back seat, and we, we started this conversation. I said, okay, so... If you're going to be honest with me, what is your level of satisfaction in our intimacy this month? And I had to put myself on the line a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she's, she said it was a six. Now, I'm like thinking to myself at first, like, oh, man, shoot. But that gives me access to something. That gives me access to not if I didn't ask that question, it would have continued. It probably would have started to decline. Rather than when she sets me up and and really is honest about her level of satisfaction and our intimate connection, it's like, okay, now we can just grow it. And now I can bring back, well, I know what her love languages are. I can start to implement and like bring that back into our life together. And I don't know if I'd be as bold to ask her now. I would say in the last couple of weeks, uh, our level of intimacy had been about nine Niner,
3: so. Absolutely. Well, and that comes from the agreement as a couple that it, the, the goal isn't to always be perfect or to fear dissatisfying your partner, to actually expect that will happen because mm-hmm. we are always changing. And so if the agreement is that we're just going to always be honest with each other and that it's not a personal attack if satisfaction is lower in a certain area, that's predictable because that's life. Then there's now, wow, okay, that's just our awareness. And then like you had said, to do something about it. You can have the awareness, but then to say, okay, what do we want to implement? That's why you check your satisfaction level. And then you say, okay, what what intention do we want to put there then? So we actually put things in place, goals, conversations, things we want to try that can make the difference. I love that.
2: I, uh, there's no good segue. So we're just going to like move right on to the next question. Um, and I'm really curious about this one. So that's why I wanted to make sure we touched on it. I'm really curious your guys' thoughts on couples combining finances, keeping them separate. What, what have you seen? Is there sort of like a one size fits all approach that you think, or what's your take on this?
3: Yeah, and I think, you know, first again, going to that vision with, you know, because I would, I would never want to say that everybody should do something. I don't want to speak into people's life that there's a principle everybody should do. You have to go to your vision and your intuition. However, with that said, because our relationship to money and one of the things we coach people on is really connecting to money as an energy source. And that when you you aren't two individuals, this is the perspective we take on. Again, not everyone needs to take this, but we now see ourselves, yes, as two whole and complete individuals, but we've now formed a new entity with our union we now are nurturing this entity of our partnership and with that said even when we were working two separate jobs it was never a comparison of your money and my money it now became the energy that we are bringing forth together and that you know we see struggle with couples when they're saying oh You know, I'm making more money. This is, it becomes a competition, a comparison, and there's a still a separation. They're not seeing themselves as one united entity quite yet. So for us and the couples that we coach, when they take on that mindset of a we, and that they're now a union and a partnership, and you trust that your we say your vision is fully funded. So if you trust that your vision is fully funded, it doesn't matter, quote unquote, who brings in more money, money, it's that your vision together is funded. So what we say is, you know, merging it all together, but we use a bucketing system. So there's different buckets for each categories of life. So most people have a checking account and a savings account, and then it constantly looks like you're losing money, right? But we have a bucketing system, certain percentages go for bills, uh, long-term savings, fund money, big purchases, giving and education. And The fun money is where people have a a separate account because that's actually where a lot of conflict comes from. Because again, when it's all in one account, it can look like you're losing when someone wants new shoes. But when that's in your fun account and you have separate fun accounts, Aaron has his fun account. I have my fun account. We get to circulate that however we want.
2: I love that. Yeah, we do something so similar, which I just Mm -hmm. love. I mean, that's why I feel like we're, um, loving what you guys are putting out there because I think it it works and it makes sense. And um, it's, you know, creating a plan and a strategy, but with some fluidity and with some structure, but with also some free room to, to breathe, right? I mean, and that's something, we've talked about that on the podcast. I could know where every dollar goes and I wanna, you know, I'm the saver. So I am like really worried about every dollar because I wanna make every dollar work for us. And if I were to do that to Michael, if I were to say, you need to manage your money this way, because that's what I do, he would go crazy, right? And so it's kind of finding a solution that works for us. He's got some of his own money. I have some of mine. But we, the the joint money, the it all comes into one account, and then from there we decide what the best things to do with it are. And when we take our fund money, it's like a little bit for each of us to do whatever we want with. It gives you some free reign to do spending. So, you know, I will spend mine every single week, whether it's like wine with a girlfriend, coffee, Michael sort of like hoards his. So he'll just kind of like let it stockpile. And all of a sudden he'll come back with something like, that's like $500. And I'm like, how did you pay for that? And he's like, I've been saving my money. (laughs) (laughs) It like allows you to spend according to your personality. Right. And not really feel like you have to ask permission. I mean, That's the other thing is like, we both work really hard for our money, right? So I don't want to be the gatekeeper. Like that's not a fun role to play where it's like, yes, you have to ask me yes or no, because I'm the one that maybe logistically pays the bills or transfers the money or that kind of thing. To me, that's not the way it should work. We can both make decisions around the money. So that's why I think it, it works really well that way. But that was a side tangent. Sorry.
3: No, <laughs> oh, I love
4: it. <laughs> I love the. It's so funny to me. Structured freedom or structured fluidity. I really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is.
2: It. Yeah, it really is.
1: So with, you know, we're talking about uh, income, but also sharing finances. How how can couples really maximize separate uh, or additional incomes? Because now it's so easy to have. An additional source of income, whether you can drive Uber on the weekends or deliver pizzas, or you know have rental properties, and how can couples maximize their additional streams of income and multiple streams streams of income?
3: Well, going back to not to keep you know beating this in, but it is a new concept for people with a vision statement. It you really have to decide based on what your vision is what income streams are in alignment. Because like you said, there are more opportunities than ever. And we even found you can invest in movies being made. Like There are literally unlimited possibilities for how to create other income streams, but the dissatisfaction will often come when it's something that doesn't feel good because it's not in alignment with your vision. So to go back to that vision statement, then to say, okay, what, what... Do we wanna to circulate to? What do we believe in? Because really, again, because we believe money is energy, we're circulating energy to something. We wanna make sure it's something that aligns with our values. And and really that's where it can feel more freedom to attract the money. Erin, is there something you'd say?
4: Yeah, this is a principle that we learned from the founder of Delighted by Desert Hummus, which is the company we angel invested in that was on Shark Tank. And she really taught us this principle of seeing like a business or seeing a mission as its own entity. So a couple of things, that's where we sort of said that our partnership is its own entity, or if you have a business or a mission like what you both are creating, or for us around our coaching business, or our health and wellness network marketing company at the time, those were all separate entities. So you start to ask yourself the question, wherever the money is being circulated from, wherever the value circulation is coming back from, what's in the best service of that entity? And then so rather than starting to mix up all these finances from these different sources, if you are driving for Uber, I think you said delivering pizza or doing Airbnb, decide on what sort of entity that is. And that also matches with legal entities, right? You create an LLC or you might create a trust or something like that. It's its own entity. And that entity has its own purpose and vision. And keeping the funds that circulate from those income activities in that entity, and not to start to mix these all up, because then it gets confusing, and Mm -hmm. my money, your money, this income stream, that income stream, but also makes sense for liability, right? And obviously, for your legal perspective, you don't want this entity to be able to come after in judgments or liens or whatever, you want to start to keep these things separate.
3: I'd also say when you know couples go to pick additional income streams is to raise your sense of value of yourself and to really ask, how can I add value to people? Because there's a lot of people with the mindset of, oh, I just need to work more hours. But you can actually attract more money by just circulating more value to people. So if you really tap into the unique contribution that you can be, you might find that, wow, I could really add this value to someone instead of 40 hours for $3,000, I can do that in one hour because of the value I'm circulating to them. So really making sure that they're not coming from the mindset of time for money, which is what we're used to. That's the model that we grew up in, but that's changing now too. You know, More and more places are transitioning, not based on time, but based on value created. And that's, and really just to make sure that it's not a scarcity, we got to make money because then it'll just be life is to just make sure we pay our bills. You know, when really you can just circulate value to people and that comes back with money.
2: Do you find that most couples, they're both very motivated or is one person more of the driver, more ambitious to start and then the other person sort of comes along later. What's the starting point that you see most couples in when they're trying to do this?
4: For us, I would actually say it would be that they're both motivated, but that's because we set that intention. You know, we talked about that early on. So Mm -hmm. we intend to attract those kind of couples. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to our ideal client. What we set up our business and our coaching for is to speak to those that are motivated. Hence why we are relationship coaches, not relationship counselors. Now, if we were intending and putting our thoughts towards wanting to be counselors, we would probably attract more couples that did have that dichotomy of one motivated and whatnot. And that's not to say we don't come across those couples. So maybe Jocelyn will speak to those. Well,
3: I, I would say, yeah, even outside of the couples that directly work with us, what I do see is that there will oftentimes be one more motivated than the other. And not to at all be biased, but it's usually the woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think by nature, we want to grow, expand the feminine energy is about expansion and the masculine energy is more directive on track, you know, focus on what, what is what's present, both are, you need both the masculine and feminine energy, but by nature, because the feminine energy is expansion, expansive, exploratory, they want to grow. They want to try something new. They're dreaming. They're thinking of something new. And that that's where we say, okay, if one of you is feeling quote unquote, more motivated, you can lead by example and inspire your partner. And rather than coming from an accusatory state of like, well, gosh, why don't you want to go do this? Why don't you want to work out? Why don't you want to start a business really instead just sharing more inspiration. There's a term called enrollment. to enroll. Someone is to really cast a vision and really share the excitement and the possibility of it. And I think that's where the other partner, it isn't necessarily that they become motivated, but instead they really are shedding the layers of fear or constriction that are on top of. Inside of us, we are all creative and creators is what we believe.
2: Yeah, I love the idea. And I just this morning, I was having a conversation with a client. They do keep their money separate. They're a little bit older. Of They've both been married pri- previously, which is when I tend to see it oftentimes where a couple will want to keep their finances separate. And the wife wanted to take bigger vacations. And we're talking like Australia, New Zealand, and that sort of thing. And the husband couldn't really afford to take those types of vacations, even though travel is important to both of them. And you know, I didn't use the word enroll, but I love that. And I, I, what I said is just start having the dreaming conversation about what could this look like and try to do it long before an actual trip is trying to get planned, because then it's about that trip that causes tension or there's stress around it, where just try to have it in more broad strokes, you know, like what could this look like? What's a way to make, a, you know, me not feel resentful for contributing more on the trip, but also not make it feel like you feel yucky because you're not contributing as much. Like contributions happen in multiple ways of resources, not just financial. And I think people think because finances are n- about numbers that there's like this pretty formula that you always have to follow or that it's always fair. And it, you know, fair does not apply, I think sometimes when it comes to money, because it doesn't take into consideration the emotional impact of money. So I really see that conversation show up. But um, Michael, what you wanted to ask the some of the last few questions I think that we have.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, this, I can't believe this has been an hour already. This has been such a great conversation and I think, um, so needed today, but I, before we wrap up here, I wanted to see if you guys want to share because you're always doing so much. You always have some great brunches and stuff. Tell, tell everybody, um, where, where you're going to be or some events that you have coming up and, uh, what's on your calendar.
3: Yeah. Well, we definitely contribute to different speaking events around the country. So on our website, if you go to meetthefreemans.com and then you can look at events, we have events like we were just in Vegas this weekend. We'll be in California next month, twice, um, as well as going more to the Midwest. So we we travel around the country for different events. But locally in Arizona, we have a couples brunch once a month. We have guest speakers. It's the JW Marriott. It's a beautiful brunch. And uh, we would love to have couples in Arizona come. Or if you want to fly in as well, come to that. And then we're always connecting with people virtually doing Facebook Live Q&As, you know, we have a lot of different ways we love to connect with people online. And you guys have
2: a lot of these resources that we've been talking about on your website available. Right. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. The family meeting worksheet, the couple's vision statement workbook, even our ebook, the new power couple we give away. We're really about providing value for people before there's this ask, right? So we want to just give freely. And so meet the Freemans with an S.com. We have a ton of resources and then our Facebook and Instagram meet the Freemans.
2: I love it. I love your worksheets too. Michael, I'm going to make you do them with me just so you oh, know. I've,
1: I've seen them. They're great. I was, I was, I was going to have this conversation with you after we finished podcasting. <laughs> I was like, this, these are great resources. And, um, so it. yeah, they're awesome. I
2: love, I feel like they're much more strategic about what you and I probably do naturally, mm-hmm. but they're strategic about it, which I love. So yeah. I want us to like follow their steps. Exactly. Aww.
1: All right, guys. Well, Aaron and Jocelyn Freeman, thank you so much for joining us. Um, And uh, so really fast. Your podcast is the empowered couple.
3: Empowered couples. Yeah. So our our community, we have a face private Facebook group called empowered couples. And then our podcast is empowered couples.
2: And your book is the new power couple.
3: Correct.
1: (laughs) Great. Great. Well, thank you guys for joining us so much. This has been awesome. And, um, If uh, you guys, listeners have any questions for them, please check out their resources. We're going to put all that stuff on our show notes. Um, But other than that, we will see you guys later. Have a great week.
4: Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to The Saver and The Spender. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, www.fiscalfitnessaz.com, to your family, friends, and colleagues. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at I Am Fiscally Fit, and on Facebook at Fiscal Fitness PHX. Join us next time for another edition of The Saver and The Spender.